Hi, and welcome back to On the Shelf. Today we have a very special episode we cannot wait to share with you all today, an author interview. And this one will also be special because this is the first author we've had on with a nonfiction book. So it's a little bit different, but still going to be a lot of fun. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to On the Shelf. Um, I'm, I apologize for my voice because I was at the Lizzo concert last night and it was very loud and I was in the pit. So sorry of, you know, I'm losing my voice a tiny bit. However, I think I'm going to have a really good conversation with the special guest I have here with me today. I will let him introduce himself and his book and then we will get into the questions. Thanks, Honora. Uh, Lizzo is great. Uh, that's awesome. Um, my name is Ryan Britt. Um, I am the author of the book Phasers on Stun, How the Making and Remaking of Star Trek Changed the World. Uh, came out last year at this time, actually. Um, and it is a history of all of Star Trek um, from uh, 1964, before the show existed, um, all the way through 2022, with a few little hints at things that happened in 2023, uh, because I'm a time traveler um and um yeah the um it's written in the sort of accessible style there are memoir elements to it um it's a work of journalism it's not a work of oral history um and uh yeah it's designed for anyone who is interested in the history of entertainment pop culture uh politics as it relates to pop culture science as it relates to pop culture and i always tell uh, people that if you don't know anything about Star Trek or you don't care about Star Trek or science fiction, it doesn't matter. Uh, the book can be read by anybody. Uh, my editor at uh, Plume at Penguin Random House, uh, she said she'd seen one episode of Star Trek ever. And so it had to appeal to her. Um, and that was also true for my agent um, who were more Star Wars people. And they were kind of like, OK, like and so I had them in mind um, the whole time. But um, yeah, and I also had in mind uh, people that were brand new fans, um, which was also sort of why I was so um, excited to get your email. Yeah. And this is also for the podcast, quite a cool opportunity because this is the first like nonfiction book or nonfiction like author we've kind of had on. Um, yeah. So I thought that would be a cool opportunity and cool. Yeah. different type of vibe. But I think, I don't know, it's still... I don't even know what I'm saying. Sorry. But um, anyway, we'll get into the questions because I lost cool. my thought. Happens. Um, so the first question, I we like to ask all of the authors this. None of us are really aware where this question came from, but <laughs> we liked it so much. We just stick with it. Um, if you were a plate, what type of plate would you be? <laughs> yeah, I saw that on there. I think that I would be a plate that is dishwasher safe. Um, I, that, that is my answer. I was thinking about this because I'm just like, as a writer and as a, um, as a dad, I have a six-year-old daughter. Um, I'm just like way too busy for a fancy plate that I can't put in the dishwasher. So that's my answer. I'd love to say that I would be a commemorative 1990s Spock plate or something like that. Those ridiculous collector's plates. I don't know. I think that that's what I would be. Something that's like really, um, you utilitarian oh. <laughs> yeah no that's completely fair and it's just really interesting because there's such a wide range of answers and I've almost never been able to guess like what someone's going to say like it's I, always 
kind of surprising. I guess that if I if I was being more like as as a writer, what kind of plate mm-hmm. am I? I guess it would be like I am I am a practical writer. So mm-hmm. again, I would be dishwasher safe because I would be yeah. very practical and I would also want to be available in many people's homes, I suppose, <laughs> you know, um, and I will. Um, but I would also want to be like a little silly. So mm-hmm. maybe like maybe it would be a funny shape, um, you know, to be shaped like a dinosaur or something like that. But it would be like really practical. But yeah. a silly shape. So maybe that's more more um, closer to what you're looking for. No, I'm not looking for anything <laughs> in particular. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, you know, the whole question is interpret it however you want. I'm not going to be like, actually, no, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> like in, interview over. Um, But anyway, that's very cool. So, you know, the name of the podcast is on the shelf. Uh, we haven't asked this question a lot recently, but I felt like bringing it back when I ask what's on your shelf, Ryan. Um, and normally this is just reading, but this can also be expanded to like what are you watching now? Yeah, so I'm reading right now. Um, and it came out a few years ago. I actually have it. I mean, it was in my bag. Is the George Saunders um book, A Swim in the Pond in the Rain, mm-hmm. um, which is I don't know if your listeners are familiar with George Saunders. He's a famous short story writer and fiction writer. And this is a collection of um Russian literature, so like Chekhov and Tolstoy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's but it's George Saunders' class basically that he's taught. Um, on it so it's like all of his interpretations and like notes so in the first part of it this is just so cool because like it's like a deep reading of this but it's really funny um is that he goes a page at a time through this Chekhov short story called in the cart and after every single page he like talks about why the story is working and it kind of diagrams it it's just amazing and it makes you think more deeply about great works of literature but George Saunders is also such a wonderfully funny essayist Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in some of his short fiction sort of like, uh, I mean, some of his short fiction is straight up sci-fi. Um, and I, I just find him to be so funny and it just makes me think harder about my writing. I'm working on a novel now. And so I'm really, um, thinking really hard about fiction. And then I'm also reading a book called Sherlock Holmes of Baker Street, which is a really old book that, um, uh, um, a guy named William Baring Gold put together. And it is a fictionalized biography of Sherlock Holmes. Oh. So it's as though he were real, but writing about him. And it it kind of created the baseline for all the other kind of pastiches and fan fiction uh, mm-hmm. that were created after that. And a lot of the assumptions of like, who was the older brother? What was his what was his mom's name? And all, all that kind of comes from this book. Uh, so it's a really like famous work of fan fiction um, that influenced people like you know, like from uh, Nicholas Meyer, who's a Star Trek director, or Michael Shabon, who was a co-creator of Star Trek Picard. So uh, yeah, Sherlock Holmes is a great interest of mine, and I'm working on a um, Sherlock Holmes project um, next. So um, that's those are the two things I'm reading right now. Interesting. Um, but yeah, as I think part of my reading of your book and then just other research I was doing, I think there's a pretty sizable overlap of people involved or interested in Star Trek and people involved or interested in Sherlock Holmes. And I think that's a really (laughs) interesting cross-section. But I don't know, like it kind of makes sense. But at the same time, I feel like just saying those, it's like they don't, on the surface, I wouldn't say that they seem like super, super connected, but I just think that's a cool 
Well, I think that, you know what, though, is like I did it. So one of the first uh, nonfiction essays I ever did back in 2010 was an essay for a science fiction journal called Clark's World. And it was an essay about the connection between Sherlock Holmes and science fiction literature, mm -hmm. just in general, not just Star yeah. Trek. And I interviewed Nicholas Meyer, who was the director of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, and his big literary breakthrough was a Sherlock Holmes pastiche in 1976 called The 7% Solution. And I was like, what's the connection? And he said that he felt that both Star Trek and Sherlock Holmes were secular Bibles, mm -hmm. meaning that like they had like this sense of like a belief system that the world can be understood through like scientific and rational means, mm -hmm. um, but that wasn't associated with any kind of mysticism. And then if you look at the shows, like every show has a sort of like Holmesian character like Spock or, um, you know, Picard has elements of Holmes to him. But then, of course, Data is obsessed with Holmes. And then that even more, even even like 2023, Data is talking about his love of Sherlock Holmes in Picard season three. But I think that each of the shows has that kind of like an adventure that is rooted in rationality mm -hmm. rather. And like Holmes isn't a very violent character. right? Yeah. And that's true of like Star Trek heroes as well. So I think that it makes sense uh, a lot, <laughs> but I've also spent a lot of time thinking about it. Um, so that yeah. might be my bias. <laughs> well, that's completely fair. And I mean, it definitely does make sense, but, and again, it's also apparent that the people working on it clearly have a love for Sherlock Holmes, which just the hijinks that occur. Yes, um, totally. But yeah, so, you know, that'll definitely do it. So. Moving on, um, if you had to spend a year in a fictional world, which world would you pick and why? Well, I would definitely pick the Star Trek world because I think that it, but I think that not just because I love Star Trek and I'm like a professional Star Trek journalist and fan, <laughs> um, but because it encompasses other universes, right? Yeah. Just like practically speaking, if I <laughs> was in the Star Trek universe, I could travel to other dimensions as well. And mm -hmm. I could time travel and I could, um, I've just seen um, some episodes, uh, uh, no spoilers, but I've seen the first three episodes of the new season of Strange New Worlds. And um, people know from the trailers that there appears to be some time travel and, and there it is. And I was just like, oh, it's so great that like, Star Trek can actually be a contemporary show sometimes. We're gonna be like, oh, we're gonna just do an episode that's set in the present, <laughs> you know, or a whole film, uh, or a whole season, you know. And I love that because I love the idea. So I, that's what I would choose because you have so many options. You know what I mean? And you don't have to be, you don't have to be in the military or in the. You could yeah. be a civilian. You know, you I would you could live on Earth and have a have a cool, uh, a restaurant like Captain Cisco's dad. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You could be, a, you know, I always love the idea that there are novelists in the in, in the Star Trek future, like where there's like, there's an episode of Voyager where um, the holographic doctor like writes like a holographic memoir. Yes. Uh -huh. And then the episode is about like his book deal, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and like whether or not as a, as a sentient AI, you get a book deal. Uh, you know, like, I love that. Like that stuff is just great to me. Like the mm -hmm. Star Trek also has art and, um, books and uh music in in it and i think that's really interesting because you know uh something that i was obsessed with uh with my first essay collection was um my first book which was an essay collection was like how that's kind of absent in other fantasy narratives like you don't you don't hear a lot about people's like other than bilbo in the lord of the rings who's like a very famous memoirist obviously because the book you're reading is you know <laughs> but like you don't hear a lot about that and in star wars it's like almost totally absent Mm -hmm. Right. Like people are like too busy, like trying to like save their own lives to like write a poem or whatever. And everything always has like a real purpose there. It's like a manifesto or it's, you know, has a real plot purpose. I love that there's just people who are artists 
mm-hmm. in the Star Trek future. I think that's so encouraging. Yeah. And there's also, I mean, and again, since it's supposedly it's like the future of the earth, there's still the art and stuff that you would be familiar with that people are still clearly really enjoying and just have around in their lives. So it's like, it would be different, but at the same time, you could still have some well, pieces. Yeah, they they did this smart thing. I don't know if anybody caught this, but in Strange New World season one, they had Spock referencing the works of Maggie Nelson, mm-hmm. right? That he was reading Maggie Nelson. And I was like, that's so brilliant. Of course, Spock's reading Maggie Nelson. You know what I mean? I thought I, just stuff like that. Star Trek has always been so obsessed with literature, mm-hmm. so obsessed with literature. So I think that it, it's so capacious that it it can contain all these other books, whether they're classics that they were allowed to reference, right? Like Moby Dick or, or Holmes. Um, but also, like, now they'll continue to reference contemporary literature, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Okay. So continuing with your answer, since now we know which fictional world, um, would you choose, like, what specific era would you most prefer to be dropped in? Oh, in Star Trek? Yeah. I really, really love the era that um, Star Trek Picard season three is in right now. Mm-hmm. That kind of like, it's the end of the next generation era and it's the beginning of this new era. I love the way that all of their um, uniforms look. I love like the idea that it's very familiar that like Deep Space Nine is over there and that's over there. I, so I would do, I would choose that because the technology is really cool and they've got the holodecks and stuff and the galaxy is kind of at peace. Mm-hmm. And so that seems positive. And, but then all of those characters are like elder, elder states people, right? Like they're all around. Um, that seems really cool. But that I would also say like the Lower Decks era is sort of, you know, that's like 15, 20 years before that. That would be, mm-hmm. I got my Lower Decks Boimler shirt on today. Awesome. I would kind of choose that. But yeah, somewhere in, anywhere in the kind of the, the 30 to 40 years that spans the next generation Voyager Deep Space Nine in the, in the, in the newest season of, of Picard, probably. Yeah, awesome. That's, I don't know, very solid answer. I <laughs> did kind of have a hunch that that was what your answer was going to be. Uh, and we we have some, a couple more of like those types of questions. Okay, I love them. So yeah. I'll get to those later. Um, I pr- what you're saying is I'm predictable, is I'm very predictable. No, no. <laughs> That's fine. Um, not what I was saying specifically. <laughs> um, but anyway, so as you mentioned, your um, your first book is a collection of essays, and I was kind of wondering how the difference, um, like the difference between the processes of writing both of them, and the difference in like how the inspiration came to you, and just kind of approaching them as books. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is um, very practical. Right. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of it is just like the practicality of how they came about. So my first book was published in 2015. It was an essay collection called Luke Skywalker Can't Read and Other Geeky Truths. And despite its title, um, it's not just about Star Wars. There's Mm -hmm. actually only a couple essays about Star Wars. Doctor Who's in there. Sherlock Holmes is in there. uh, Lord of the Rings is in there. There's a superhero essay. Um, There's also some memoir, more personal essay components Mm -hmm. to it. Right. So it, it just was where I was at in my career is I had been kind of circling around trying to get a book deal to do something and I just kind of realized that at that time in my career I was um 32 when I got that book deal and then I was 34 when the book came out because I turned 33 in 2014 the year and I'm 41 now mm-hmm. right so like it a, a lot and so then a lot of those essays were written in my late 20s to kind of put this in perspective you know what I mean like and yeah. I had been writing so I had been writing for a website called tor.com t-o-r which is a science fiction publisher um, and I had been their staff writer and I had a lot of material there. And from my freelancing at science fiction journals of doing essays about 
different things. Um, and I just didn't want all this these fun essays to not, not to go away. Mm-hmm. And my favorite books at the time were were like my were like that book were um, uh, uh, Chuck Klosterman's um, uh, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs or um, Rob Sheffield's Talking to Girls About Duran Duran. These are like pop culture essays that also had an element of like a, a memoir in it, but were sort of like about a lot of things, and usually about rock music in their case or pop culture. I just wanted to do that with science fiction. So the way that that book was sold was sort of like, hey, there's a new Star Wars movie coming out. I got this idea. We could have this one Star Wars essay kind of be the lead single, so to speak. And then that book sort of is that. So that was a lot of rewriting of existing material mm-hmm. and then trying to figure out ways that it it would feel <laughs> like it wasn't disposable, you know, in the way that sometimes when you write for the Internet, which I do a lot, it's my primary gig, right? Like my primary gigs I write for the Internet. Um is to make it feel like it wasn't stuff that was written for the internet. So there's a lot, there were a lot of new essays I wrote for the book. Um, but you know, that book's been out for eight years now. So, and I'm older. And so in some ways I'm like, and like I said, some of those essays originated in my late twenties. And so I, I'm like, I'm a very different person. Um, so I stand by about two thirds of that book. I'll be, and also some of the cultural references in there are already dated because it's 2015, you know? So, and that just happens. And I remember Chuck Klosterman, who's one of my writing heroes said, you know, sometimes you're just, you're stuck. Your book comes yeah. out and that's it. And it's stuck in time. Um, so I would, I guess with Phasers on Stun, I I, pit, I wanted to do a much more serious book. Mm-hmm. I kind of messed around with trying to do a novel that didn't work out for several years. Um, I got married. I had a kid. My career things changed. And I just decided, I was like, I want to do another book. I want to do it about Star Trek. And I wanted to do, um, I wanted to do a book for everybody that didn't, that had never really been done. But again, <laughs> I had been doing a lot of journalism. I've been reporting on the new shows since 2016, since Discovery was greenlit. Um, and I'd been doing a lot of journalism and um, commentary on the new shows. And I was like, well, n- none of the existing Star Trek history books have written about the new shows mm-hmm. at all. And I have always been very uh, positive about the new shows. You know, I have some problems with all of various things you know but i uh, compared to some other people in 2017 in my field like i was one of the only ones i knew who was being very positive about about discovery and then the, the subsequent new shows in 2020 so i wanted to do something with all that reporting because i'd interviewed most of the cast of discovery uh at that time um and so i was like i want to i want that to be in a book so the process was like how to make that mainstream and um, really fun and the kind of book that I myself would want to read. Um, but also that was comprehensive enough that people didn't feel like they were not getting their money's worth. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> you know that wasn't just, and I happen to think this. And I think that what I learned from my first book is that sometimes just having an opinion about something wasn't quite enough. Yeah. Um, and that doing the research and saying like, like, like okay, I'm going to actually talk to the woman who made the first Star Trek zine and see what she says. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to actually talk to, you know, I'm so stuff like that where you're like, I'm actually going to not read the article online about this. I'm going to actually do my own mm-hmm. reporting and then see what that feels like. Um, you know, so that 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 was a big so, you know, that was a long process. It was about a year and a half. Um, it wasn't just taking a bunch of my old stuff with like archival research and slapping it together. It was a lot of it was very laborious. Uh, lots of eBay purchases of old magazines and TV guides uh, to find like old quotes um, from people that are either I couldn't get a hold of or not around. Uh, lots of cold calling of retired actors uh, and old screenwriters and stuff. So, um, yeah, but then also just like trying to figure out, like, how do I just do one chapter on Deep Space Nine or whatever? 
paper, mm-hmm. you know, and not have it be like super overwhelming to somebody who has no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so that was that was another challenge. That's a long answer. I'm really sorry. No, I think that's completely fair. And I I don't know. I was very interested in seeing how that answer would kind of play out anyway. So totally fine. And the next question kind of works out because um, it is about interviewing because, you know, you've interviewed a lot of different people, especially for this book and just kind of in general. Um, what advice do you have for anyone who's either looking for looking to get better at interviewing or just get looking to I don't know just kind of I guess just get better at it in general but um yeah one one mistake that I I always I still make this mistake and not a mistake but a tendency that I think I have when I'm interviewing people is sometimes I don't just jump right in sometimes I kind of try to like talk um you know just kind of like shoot the breeze a little bit (laughs) and that never works um, it, it almost never works like um, the oh how are you doing where are you blah, blah 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 like every once in a while that works and if the interview subject leads with that that's mm-hmm. okay to kind of lighten up but if you make it kind of like you're trying to be like friends with the interview subject that can kind of backfire yeah. and also it can just kind of waste time podcasts are different because it's like you got like 40 minutes you know mm-hmm. like that's different I so I'm ref- like that I'm referring to um, when you've got 10 minutes yeah. And you're do- and you're really doing some reporting. Yeah. Right. Your best your best bet is to just be like, um, you know, I'm just gonna jump right in and then just get into your first question. Cause for yeah. the most part, um they're kind of like TikTok, you know what I mean? Even if they're the nicest person in the world, they're gonna be like, All right, let's 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 get going. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I think so. I think that that's sometimes um yeah, try not to talk about yourself too much. Again, the format that you're doing here is do- is very different. So I think that that's different. But if you're a reporter and you're like, again, I make this mistake all the time because I, I want like half the time, I'm like obsessed with the people that I'm interviewing and I really want to be like best friends with them. Mm-hmm. But I have to remind myself that I'm like, this is a professional, you know, like I'm, I'm like a detective. Mm-hmm. I'm like grilling them basically. And I'm trying to get... Because the other thing is, yeah, you'll just waste time sometimes. Um, but yeah, that's kind of it. Like, I, I would just say, um, yeah. And then obviously, like, just make sure you're recording it. Because, um, you know, I, I had a thing happen. And, and make sure you've got a backup. You know, mm-hmm. like, if it's really important. You know, I had a, I interviewed Timothy Chalamet for my new Dune uh, project. that, And, you know, I, of course, it was the classic thing where, like, the one recorder on the computer stopped. And then I had to turn the one on on my phone really fast. You know, and I lost 15 seconds. <laughs> and I'm like, people can say a lot in in in, in 30 seconds, oddly. Um, mm-hmm. particularly if you've only got 10 minutes, um, or 15 or 20, even that 20 is a long time, you know, with a with a famous person like like Chalamet. Um, but yeah, that's that's is that is that helpful? I guess maybe that is helpful. <laughs> that's helpful. And I'm also glad you specified the that this is different because as soon as you started saying that, I was like, oh no. <laughs> No, no, no. It's totally because the because that's the other thing is like I I am actually you're a wonderful podcast host. You're you're so organized. I've hosted a few podcasts and I'm not great at it um, because I think that the podcast affords you more freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think that you should have like a it, podcast should feel like a friendly. I'm mostly talking about interviewing people for print, right? Like where you're yeah. like taking the quotes and you're putting them in an article or a mm-hmm. book. Like you gotta like get down to it. But yeah, yeah, if somebody's agreed to be on a podcast for like 45 minutes, like whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you know that I would say that you probably know more about that than I do. 
Yeah. And I would, okay. So just kind of general type of advice thing is kind of just be aware of the format you're doing it for. Yeah. Kind of, you know, and be aware of how much time you have. And if you have to jump into it, jump into it. But I don't know, just kind of, it'll be okay. <laughs> the media, the medium does matter though. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I also just think, yeah, don't ask too many personal questions. I guess that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> you know, cause sometimes people will be like, oh yeah, I'll tell you, you know, but some of the people will be like, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just no. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, okay. So continuing with a bit more of an advice thing, what advice do you have for anyone looking into writing a book, especially one that is very research heavy, like phasers on stun? Yeah. It's just, don't make any assumptions is I guess is like, cause I think that one thing I write for the internet, right? Like, and we all exist on the internet in terms of the, yeah. the media we consume is that you'll find something that's been repeated many times in various articles or even on Wikipedia. And, mm -hmm. and it and it's it not necessarily incorrect, but sometimes it's out of context. Yeah. And sometimes the context that it's been taken from is really interesting. So always try to go to a source that is not the internet. Yeah. There's a few, if you look at the, um, you know, the source notes at the back of Phasers on Sun, you'll see a few internet articles. And that's because I couldn't find a quote, you know, from somebody elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, that's what I would say. I would say, you know, <laughs> try to just find find a find a quote from something that's not. Try to verify it again. Um, mm -hmm. I had s some people say some things to me that they'd said before, but they said it to me, and so I was able to verify that that was, you know, that was really their their version of it. Yeah. All right. Sorry for any weird audio things that might have just happened. Ooh. And my voice is deciding to leave very suddenly. So apologies for all of that stuff. Um, Zoom's very expensive. Continuing on. <laughs> um, all right. So obviously, since this book is pretty much about all of Star Trek, you wrote about and touched upon a lot of different characters. Out of kind of all of them in this book, um, who do you think you would get along with the best? It's so tough. Um, it's so tough. That's such a great question. It's so hard because you, you want to say you'd get in touch, or you would um, get along with the characters that you identify with the most, right? You'd, you that's that's the impulse. You want to be like, well, as a kid, I really identified with Spock. I'm like, would you really get along with Spock though in real life? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. You know, maybe not. Like, there's a reason why Bones is so annoyed by him. Uh, the flip side of that is sort of like being like, okay, well, then I'm like, well, what are the characters that are the most like me? And I'm like, so then I look for the characters that have more artistic mm -hmm. uh, or or sort of literary leanings, right? So like Dr. Crusher, for example, writes plays. Mm -hmm. Um, like in the next generation, like that's an aspect of her character. I'm like, well, I'd probably get along with Dr. Crusher. Um, you know, so it's tricky uh, because you wouldn't want to just choose someone like you because our friends are, of course, not like us. So mm -hmm. I would say that it would probably be somebody from the next generation, probably like Riker um, be at, at any stage. I love that. <laughs> I love that a good chunk of the next generation is just about like Riker worrying about his career. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's so it's very realistic for people of all ages and genders, right? Like that, mm -hmm. like the next generation was like, this is a space adventure show. Also, people are worried about their career. Um, <laughs> you know, I like that's like a really like practical thing. 
Um, so yeah, I don't know. I would say that I would say him. I mean, I always loved Seven of Nine. Um, so I think, um, and then I always loved, um, you know, I always love uh, Doctor Bashir on um, mm -hmm. Deep Space Nine. Even though I have like no real interest in like being a doctor or anything like that, I just find his his like his dorkiness to be really infectious and i yeah. feel like we would be like friends mm -hmm. uh, so i don't know it's a really hard it's a hard one and then there's oh all, yeah there's all the new shows too and you know like i really love christina chong on strange new worlds and i conflate it sometimes though with the because i've interviewed some of these people so i conflate yeah. it like I, I i talked to ed spaliers for star trek picard and like i'm like i want to be best friends with ed spaliers you know because he's so nice and so mm -hmm. cool and so like funny and but i'm like but what i want to be best friends with jack crusher probably not you know what i mean like i don't know um, so it's tricky and same, same with Christina Chong like I'm like she's like so cool um, but like La'an, Nuni, and Singh is like a little bit more hardcore and I don't know if she would be like super fun to be friends with the Lower Decks characters all of them I guess Mariner from Lower Decks I would uh, and Tawny Newsom is essentially that character mm -hmm. the great comedic act actor uh, Tawny Newsom and writer um, yeah so that's a long answer sorry no, how about you what about you what about you Honora? oh um <laughs> So I didn't think about this question at all because I didn't expect to have to answer. Uh -huh. gotcha. um, but yeah, I do want to say, especially what you're talking about um, with Dr. Bashir. I mean, earlier in your answer, you did say you don't have to be exactly like your friends to get mm -hmm. along with them. So it wouldn't really matter if like you're interested in all of the medical things, mm -hmm. you know, still hang out with your friends. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think I think that's a really good answer. I really... <laughs> didn't put any thought into it because I feel like I will very quickly fall into which characters do I like the best that's right yeah and what characters would end up liking me but I do think Riker's a good one because he just seems like I don't know seems like fun fun enough guy to be around that would I don't know like that just seems like safer kind of answer that it wouldn't be yeah, and, desp and despite the memes, like, Riker is actually a very ethical person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, despite the idea, like, the, the internet loves to pretend like Riker's, like, this big sort of, like, Lothario, right? <laughs> then it, but it's, like, kind of not true. Like, he's sort of, he's he's also, like, comfortable with, like, deferring authority to others. Yeah. Which feels <laughs> like a really good trait to have as a friend, right? Like, that they would be able to, like, sort of, I don't know. Yeah, I always like how supportive he is of people. I mean, Worf is like this too, though. You know what I mean? Worf would be a great friend. Yeah. Because um, Worf is totally pluralistic, right? Like, he can totally disagree with your entire way that you look at your life. But he's, like, totally going to back you up. <laughs> you know? Uh, like, and that's, like, such a cool idea, you know? like yeah. Star Trek shows that all the time, though. Like, Bashir and, and, and O'Brien were, like, hated each other. And then are, like, BFFs by the end of that show. Mm -hmm. Bones and Spock, you know, the person that 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 bickers with spock the most is the person that spock trusts the most with his soul you know it's such a cool star trek's so cool it's so yeah i mean you know um. yeah i yeah i totally agree and that was that was a very good answer that's you know part of what we do here on on the shelf is um tirades and tangents about oh, good. and i honestly think this is the best episode for that to <laughs> so you know and again, podcast. So we have that's right. We can do whatever we, have we the want. Time to do all that stuff. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, getting into the very basic of just things you like. Um. And again, I'm again, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but we will see. You know um, me so well. <laughs> do you have like out of all of them? Do you have a favorite 
series era and then who is your favorite captain yeah i mean my favorite series is the next generation and you knew i was gonna say that um you did yeah and you were right um i can't even pretend like your your whatever your predictions you've written down are, are you're probably like yes i didn't even need him on um <laughs> i could have just but um and that's mostly just because of my age you know what i mean like yeah. i think that's because um i think that had i been it would have been probably Deep Space Nine. It's very close because that was all. I remember when Deep Space Nine came out, I was still very young in 93. Um, but if you were to have asked me this when I was in elementary school or in junior high, I probably would have said the original series as kind of a pose. And I do really love the original series. And so it's very hard. And like right now, like my daughter is obsessed with the 1973 animated series mm-hmm. and she's seen every single episode and she's turning six in two weeks. And But she's like an expert on the animated series. Like, she's like, no, 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 that episode comes after this episode. Like, it's not. So now I'm kind of like, well, the animated series is amazing. Um, so it's tricky. Um, it would definitely probably be the next generation, not because I think it's the best Star Trek series, but because I think that it it is the coziest and, yeah. it, and it generally encompasses all the great things from the other shows, mm-hmm. like it, both forward in time and, 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 and backward, right? Like, so I think that that's why. And I also just think that the actors were exceptionally well um, uh, uh, paired, like, or not paired, but grouped. Like, you know, and, and they're all friends in real life. And that's like really unique among any entertainment, anything. Mm-hmm. Like whenever I've interviewed the cast of The Next Generation, it's always like, they're always talking about how they're texting each other and they're all like, they're obsessed with each other in this way that you wouldn't, that isn't fake. Mm-hmm. And um, especially and that- for a show that like started in 1987. Yeah, and and they weren't all friends at the at the at yeah. first, right? Like Patrick Stewart was kind of standoffish, and I don't get to really. I just did a um, I just did a magazine, one of these grocery store magazines where you can like get into um like things in depth. I did one on the Next Generation recently. I don't know when it's coming out, but I you know I wanted to. I I could have done a lot more on the Next Generation in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say that. But you know, the other thing is, is I I do think that some of the the problem with the next generation though is is it's hard to say oh just start watching the next generation because you start watching season one you're like oh wait a minute this show kind of is bad um you know so you have to be oh no no watch the first episode and then skip around which is hard right like so i'm always kind of like um yeah just start with season three or something um particularly if you're if you're more uh literary minded i think you'll see the kind of bookish elements yeah of um of star trek in, in season three of the next generation but you know if you're starting a new show you know, you could probably start with Strange New Worlds or, you know, season one of Discovery, you know, and you would actually kind of get everything you need to know. And then you would be getting Michelle Yeoh or you'd be getting Anson Mount or you'd be getting like Christina Chong, I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, you'd be getting these kind of interesting actors. So, yeah, it's tricky. Um, but that's the answer. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the answer's the answer. <laughs> so for favorite captain, you would go with Picard? Oh, but that's, yeah, but that's, that's where I, but no, probably not. Because as much as I felt he was a father figure when I was a child, no, I probably would go with like Janeway because I found Janeway to be more relatable. And I say this in the book because Janeway drinks coffee. You know, and I, I make this joke in the book, but I'm serious about that. That's so much more relatable. Yeah. Um, and I, fi- I find Janeway to be probably the most relatable. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm like, if I were a captain, I would probably be more like Janeway than I would be like Picard. Picard's so detached, right? Yeah. Um, and Cisco, I like you'd love to be like I love to be like Cisco. It's like Cisco's just a little too cool. Like mm-hmm. I could never be like Cisco, and he's up there though. You know what I mean? Like Cisco would be right up there. Um, so I'd say Janeway because I feel like Janeway is more like she's in a way she's more like Kirk, 
Yeah. Um, and I love Captain Kirk. My daughter's second favorite Star Trek character is Captain Kirk. Her first favorite is Dr. Crusher. And then Data. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say Janeway probably is my favorite um, right now. Um, for sure. For a lot of reasons. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. I would say this what. <laughs> This one I did think about. I'll ask myself this question because I like this. Yes. Question. What is your favorite? Um, I'm sorry. I should have asked that to you. I'm no, sorry. No, no, no. That wasn't polite of me. Um, no, it's fine. So I started with um, Next Generation. So during the pandemic, at one point, my dad was like, we're going to watch all the original series movies. I don't really know why he decided to do that. I have a giant poster of The Voyage Home. On oh, my that's a great wall. one, though. The one where they're, that's a, that's a great vintage poster. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. I love that poster. It, I know, but yeah, so we were we were watching all of those movies and we got to the point where um the next we got to generations and I was like, Oh, why don't we just keep watching them? My dad was like, No, you have to watch next generation to like understand who these people are. Sure, of course, because yeah. Me, because we hadn't watched a single episode of the original series. So I was like, that doesn't really matter. And we watched the first episode and I did <laughs> I like we watched the pilot for next generation and i was like it's fine but it's such a long tv show i don't want to watch it right <laughs> and right. then um and that was like 2020 and then last year at some point i don't really know why i was like i'm gonna watch it and <laughs> I've been watching through all of them part of it was my dad has been watching all of the new shows as they've been coming out and i knew picard season three was coming out like in february 2023 and i was like i want to watch it with him um, yeah, so, you got it. You got to know next gen to watch I that. Know. I mean, well, I you don't have to, but it would it helps. <laughs> yeah. So I basically said it was like over the summer last year. I was like, I'm gonna watch everything up until Picard. So I'm in the know. So I watched through <laughs> everything, and I would say my okay, my favorite show as someone like I didn't grow up with any of them being sure. on. Any- them as they were coming out my favorite show is deep space nine just because i thought it was really cool and it was different um just from what i had seen from watching all of next generation but i also i don't know i love captain janeway i think she's probably my favorite captain but i think just the setting of deep space nine is really cool because it's just different well the writing is really great on deep space nine mm-hmm. i think that deep space nine is probably the best consistently written consistently yeah. written. you know what i mean and yeah. part of that is also just look at the um you know ronald dean moore who was one of the big writers on next gen yeah. and then wrote first contact but also was on deep space nine i mean if you've ever watched the reboot battlestar galactica that's ronald dean moore and then yeah. like his current show for all mankind which is the alternate history sci-fi show on apple tv um which is a great show for history buffs and people that are interested in history and space. That's Ronald D. Moore. Like he's he's the man. And so yeah, I just think that Deep Space Nine is showcases him and Iris Stephen Bear's talents and the cast is just incredible in Deep Space Nine. The non-visitor. Um, you know, I'm friends with Chase Masterson who played Lita on Deep Space Nine. Um uh, yeah, Deep Space Nine is you can't argue with the great writing. But that's cool. So what what are your holes then? You because you so you've you've crammed since 2020, you've like never watched Star Trek and now you've been cramming so what are your holes what do you know nothing about you're like enterprise Um, probably no i've watched enterprise oh wow all right so basically between so i just finished enterprise a few weeks ago um but i've watched all of it and at some point i would um and okay so strange new worlds it like premiered on my birthday last year and i was like nice 
let's watch it. So my nice. dad and I were watching Strange New Worlds as it was coming out. Um, and then at one point he was like, well, you should watch Discovery just so you see that. So we mm-hmm. um, finished watching through that uh, about a month ago. So, and I'm currently watching the original series with him now. And we're on- For the first time. For the first time. Yeah. That's, so that's- I would say the original series, the animated series, that's it. But I've seen like all of the movies with that cast and everything. That's fun though, because watching it like, yeah. Cause I think that like, I didn't start seriously watching the original series until I was already really into the next generation. And so I think that that's like a cool, that's a cool way to do it though. That's smart. I like that. Plus Strange New Worlds will be so much more interesting to you as you're watching. Cause now you'll have Strange New Worlds season two coming out next month in mm-hmm. June. And then you'll be still, you won't be done with the original stuff. So maybe you will. I don't know how fast do you watch, <laughs> you know, that's cool. I know, but yeah, and I've, you know, I really enjoy Strange New Worlds, but again, because it's, there's only one season out, we don't know the entire scope of what's going on, but I think for completed shows, definitely Deep Space Nine is probably my favorite, Um, and, but yeah, and part of my reason for my assumptions of what your favorite would be is because my father's is also Next Generation, just because that's the one he was consistently watching kind of as it was coming out. And everything to do with that so i was like i i'm gonna make a no it's true because like you know the the showrunner of picard season three terry metallis he's Mm -hmm. 46 and so he's like seven years older than me but he's Mm -hmm. like my no five years older than me he's my wife's age right so that makes sense that he's obsessed with the next generation mike mcmahon who does lower decks he's my exact age we have birthdays in august like from in 81 right so that is like why he's obsessed with the next generation so what i'm very interested in is what happens like in the next 15 or 20 years right because Mm -hmm. like then it's interesting to see because there's also a lot of young writers on on picard season three and in the starfleet academy show and um on strange new worlds i'm curious to see kind of there's an episode in season three of strange or season two of strange new worlds that is like made i think for your generation Mm -hmm. but it's using characters from the original series Mm -hmm. (laughs) um well a character (laughs) captain kirk that's not a spoiler to say that paul wesley's captain kirk is in a uh but yeah so i think that that's really interesting um but yeah it's just like great characters from literature right like what like you know chris pine william shatner and now paul wesley ethan peck uh, leonard nimoy or zachary quinto um it's really interesting to think of like you know literary characters are like that or shakespearean characters are like mm-hmm. that you know i don't know it's just really cool to see because i would say i don't know i i really like captain pike as a character i think he's really interesting but again we only have the one season of him as the captain of the enterprise well and but i guess there was a solid few decades where it was just the cage as the only no, like, it's it yeah it's but i think yeah yeah or bruce greenwood in the in the in the reboots but yeah but yeah but i don't know i think it's just and part of that might be because that's the show i was like there for the beginning of watching it i think that might be a bit of that for me as well of just like this is the captain i'm seeing like from the start of the show and everything but i don't know it's just it's interesting <laughs> season two is gonna blow your mind it's very it, it's kind of surprising like i was actually kind of surprised um like because i've seen the first three and i was like oh man this is not what i expected it's really it's really good but it's mm-hmm. like not it's not what you expect <laughs> that's all I'm, I'm, I'm very excited i'm looking yeah, it's cool forward. okay so back to the question <laughs> Um, sorry about that, but back to the questions. Um, do you think you'd ever do a revised edition of this book 
to include any new changes or inaccuracies that might occur as time goes on. I'd love to. I, I'd like to do one in 2026, which would be the 60th um, anniversary mm -hmm. of Star Trek. I, I would like to. Um, I don't have a paperback deal yet for this book. It's only in hardcover. Um, I'd like to. We'll just see. Um, it'll yeah. just kind of depend. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be cool. Because especially as I was reading this last month, and again, having like watched what I've watched and everything, and also having this be just like a year after, and the things that have kind of changed and developed since you were writing it um but yeah so I don't know it was I don't know it was cool and I guess kind of a bit like the moment in time aspect you were talking about with your first book then so that's why I was wondering since this is very much um still a big time where there's new media coming from a lot of different sources related to it yeah so that's cool yeah, it's tricky because I was like down to the wire on Phaser Swan Stun, like putting things in from like I had had press screeners for Picard season two, which wasn't out yet, and Strange New Worlds, which wasn't out yet. And I was trying to slip in as much as I could mm -hmm. right up to the point it was printed. Um, you know, there, like where I was like, but if I had been able to do it this year, it's interesting because I would have been able to do a lot more mm -hmm. um, because I got I got Picard season three like four months early, which almost never happens. Um, and so I was able to like start thinking about that show like four months before it came out. So, yeah. And a lot of things have changed. So, yeah, I would love to just in just a year. So I would love to do another. Yeah. Um, and there are a few like little inaccuracies and little like mistakes. And there's a few little um things you know you always want to fix in every book but yes I, I would like to do one in 2026 we'll see yeah um but yeah and this is just an aside as I was reading through it so you quote um you quote a specific episode from next generation and I had what it the specific episode was in my head but it was um it's the inner something um the inner light yes the inner light I can never remember the second word anyway I was reading through this book just like a month ago, as I said, and I got to that part and I realized, um, and that's the quote I used as my senior yearbook quote. And it was the first time since I had watched that episode that I was seeing it or reading it anywhere. Cool. And I was like, you know, it was just a cool moment. And I went and I told my parents and they're like, that's, that's great. That's great for you. That <laughs> Star Trek the, but, the, um, the writer of that episode morgan gundell is a really close friend of mine actually like we've became friends because i interviewed him like in 2011 and like mm -hmm. we te we text i always my, my wife always jokes that he's like my pretend dad mm -hmm. because he's like my dad is sadly passed away 10 years ago but like he is like the age my dad would be my dad were alive so i text morgan about like the beatles and stuff like all the time like we'll be like he's like hey have you read this book about the beatles and like morgan is great but he was a freelancer who pitched to the next generation uh you know and uh was like a young younger you know hollywood writer but he's he's wonderful um right. yeah and that episode is a classic obviously mm -hmm. but yeah because i ended up having my parents vote on what my senior yearbook quote would be because i had a quote from picard and a quote from cisco and I was like, which one of these do you think would be better? I like them both. Just choose something. And then so the Picard one. So the Picard one was the seize the time one, I assume, right? Yes. Yeah, like the this this moment will come again type of thing. Yeah. yeah. What was the Cisco one? Let me find it. I have That's it cool. in my notes app. Um, because I was basically because this was just a couple months ago, I was trying to figure out what um, you know, figuring out all of the college things and 
I wanted to make sure I had my quote in and a lot of people did not do it until after it was due. So, <laughs> shocking. Yeah. Shocking, shocking. Um, what is it? Hold on. I'm going to show you up again if you want. I found my notes app link. But yeah, so basically, as we said, I was deciding between um, a quote from Deep Space Nine and a quote from Next Generation. I ended up going with the quote from Next Generation. Um, but yeah, but anyway, I had both of them written out at some point. But the quote from Deep Space Nine I had was, you had to choose your own way. There's only one thing I want from you. Find something you love and do it the best you can. Which part of the reason I wanted to do that, because again, we're graduating from high school and that seems like kind of a good one to, um, you know, just a message to send off from. And the one from Picard was also a good one because it's just, you know, you don't want to waste the time you have with these people and what you're doing. So I don't know. I think there are both great. good options. Um, but yeah, so we have now come to our final question for the interview. Um, and it is our shop small corner because back when the podcast was started, it was out of our local independent bookstore. And then due to a variety of things, we're not connected to them anymore, but we still love and support them. And we, when we have authors on, we like to support a small business and have and allow the author shout out a place for where um, the audience can support them and buy their book. Yeah, so I have three. Um, I'm in Port. I'm in. I'm in Portland, Maine, and so I have um, the Green Hand, which is in Portland, Maine, um, and then I have um, None Such Books, which is in South Portland, where I live, and the Longfellow Books. Um, and all of these shops have been very supportive of my books um, and. Uh, not just this book, but my future book. And yeah, so I would say that, yeah. Yeah, and there will be links in the show notes below for where you can get Phasers on Stun from our local bookstore in Raleigh, Quail Ridge Books, as well as links to um, to those bookstores that you just mentioned. But yeah, that is all I have for you today, unless you have anything else you would like to add or mention at all. Not no, um, I just wanted to say that if if you are interested in books about the history of science fiction, um, I have a book about Dune coming out in September, which I should definitely mention, um, which comes out September 26th, uh, which is called The Spice Must Flow, um, The Journey of Dune from cults, uh, from cult novels to the greatest science fiction movies of all time. I might might have mangled my own subtitle there because it's changed a lot. But um, yeah, it's a paperback, uh, unlike my first, my last book, which was a hardcover. Um, and yeah, it'll come out about a month and a half before the new Dune film. So if you are if you like Phasers on Stun, it's similar in style. Um, but also if you like books, uh, it is a book about books because it uh, the first third of it is the, kind of the history of how the first uh, couple of Dune books were published uh, and written. And I, I hope that people will like that. But also if you love Timothy Chalamet, uh, there's my me talking to him at the beginning and end of the book. Uh, if you love Patrick Stewart, there's an interview with Patrick Stewart in there. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm very excited uh, for that. Um, and it's been, uh, so please, um, you know, if you love Faders on Stun and you have even a passing interest in Dune, uh, please pick that up too in the fall. <laughs> I did actually just think of one more question that Go is on script. Um, but yeah, so again, you've been able to interview a lot of different people. Is there anyone, so the way I'm going to phrase the question one way and then like 
give more explanation to why it's like that. Um, what's kind of like the coolest interview experience you've had or someone you never thought you would be able to interview for your book and you're able to? For Phasers on Stun? Yeah. Um, for the Star Trek book? Yeah. Um, so like half the interviews, there's like three ways to look at the quotes in the book. They're either archival quotes that I've found right there are interviews i'd done previously um mm -hmm. for like publications i've kind of repurposed them quoting my own interviews or they're ones i did exclusively for the book um i guess i'm gonna have to say walter caning who plays played Chekhov on the original series mm -hmm. because i spoke to him like pretty like it was right after like the january 6th insurrection and he was like really upset about that in this way that was very real and he's very old you know what mm -hmm. i mean and it was really interesting to hear his perspective on politics and hope and even we were like kind of in a hard time like you know it was like it was like scary it was a scary couple months there yeah and he was just really um it was amazing because there's not very many people from the original series that are around um mm -hmm. and i admire his work so much as a writer and as an actor i loved him on babylon 5 um but he's such a thoughtful, he wrote an episode of the animated series. He's such a thoughtful person. And you wouldn't think that like the guy who played Chekhov would be like this deeply introspective, kind, humble, but also like cranky in that way that like a cranky uncle would be cranky, but like funny. Um, Like he was cranky for the first 20 minutes of the call, but then it was like an hour long phone call that I didn't expect. It was only supposed to be 20 minutes, but he gave me like an hour and he was just so generous. Um, So I was really, that was really amazing. I love that he had a voiceover in Picard season three as the, as the as the president of the Federation. I thought that was so cool, but um, yeah, what, just a wonderful, and I love that he, they named that, that person, Anton Chekhov as a reference to the Russian uh, writer, but also as a reference to Anton Yelchin, the wonderful actor who sadly mm -hmm. passed away from the, um, from the other Star Trek films. But yeah, I would say Walter Koenig. And then more recently, I gotta say Timothy Chalamet um, because I really was like, you know, Timothy Chalamet is a young guy. Um, he's probably, you know, much closer to your age than mine mm -hmm. um but i was just really i'd never interviewed and i interviewed him for a, a cover story for a magazine for denim geek and then i ended up using some of that for this dune book and then i just never expected somebody who was like that level of hollywood star to be so wise mm -hmm. uh, and so like literate and interested in books um and so yeah like interviewing timothy chalamet for um for dune was really cool uh, just really really great and he's just like a really really um yeah whatever people people hate timothy chalamet i'm not going to be on board with it i'm like 41 year old man who's like timothy chalamet rocks and that's how i feel about it <laughs> uh, but that's just like he totally charmed me like he took that interview yeah. over um and so i thought that was like really amazing yeah um and you know especially since you do have the dune book coming out soon i will also include a couple of pre-order links thank you <laughs> links below um you know because i don't know people like dune you know if maybe you've gotten through this episode and you're like eh, star trek's not my thing but i do like dune we, patrick we stewart it was in it was in you know patrick stewart we he i got to talk to patrick stewart before picard season three for 45 minutes and we spent 20 of it talking about dune um because he'd love to be able to talk about something that wasn't star trek i think yeah, <laughs> uh, that's fair. And he has such fond memories of it. And he was such a new, he was such a new film actor at the time. He'd barely done any movies at all. Um, it's really interesting in 84 to think that only three years later, he would become Captain Picard right after doing that. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Well, that is all I have for you today. 
thank you so much for joining me. I honestly did not expect to get an email back after <laughs> agent. Um, because I literally I went on a spring break trip and I tore through phasers on stun and I said, who knows what'll happen? Um, but just thank you so much for joining me today. Well, it was really my pleasure. And Honora, I think that that's also a great because that's half the time I get any of the interviews is the same way as I just like, you know, you just ask, you mm -hmm. know, it's amazing what you'll find. And so, um, yeah, I, it's my pleasure. This is one of my, this is like my favorite interview I've done for this book easily. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed. As always, all of the things you may need, such as a following on the shelf's Instagram, following Ryan's Instagram, where to find the book through our bookstore, some other local bookstores, and the map of all of the local bookstores from authors we've talked to on the podcast will be in the show notes below, as well as a link to the last interview we did with Riley S. Quinn about her self-published novel, um, The Pennant of Hyacinth, which is book one in a trilogy. That was a really fun interview as well, and I really recommend checking it out if you have the time. But yeah, thank you so much for listening once again. We really hope you enjoyed. As always, I'm Honora Quinn, and this is On the Shelf.